the idea that you have to be as mad as I am about the same issue as me, on the same platform as me, at the same time as me, is really ridiculous when these platforms didn't exist 20 years ago. So I think leaders have to ask themselves, when do I engage? What do I say? When do I put out? When do I address these issues, uh, both internally to the people I'm serving, but also to let people know this is where I stand? I think it's good and right for leaders to do that. I just don't think the pressure that we have to have, we have to say something all the time. We need to resist that. This is where the the platforms incentivize that. They incentivize, man, everyone's talking about this. I got to say something. Everyone's saying this. I got to speak up. It may be right for you to speak up given your position. Uh, and what God is calling you to do and the people you're serving, that's great. But don't feel like you, I don't think leaders have to do that all the time. I think we have to really decide what's wise. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I'm your host, Joel Harder. You know, as we look at the state of our public discourse, particularly in the realm of politics, it is easy to see that the hostility, the vitriol, the incivility, the partisanship clearly on display. And that can lead people who really want to engage and do so in a way that's constructive and helpful to just simply back away and disengage altogether. Well, I'm really excited to have my good friend Daniel Darling on the podcast today. And he's going to give some very practical words of advice on how we can actually engage online speak into our culture and into our political debate in a way that breaks through those cycles of incivility. Dan is the Senior Vice President for Communications at NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters, and for six years before that, he served as Vice President for Communications for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Dan is a best-selling author of several books, including Crash Course, Real, and The Dignity Revolution, and he has recently released a new book called Away with Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. We're going to talk about ways that all of us can think better about the words that we use, how to use them for good, how to use our online engagement well. Today, in the first part of my conversation with Dan, we're going to look specifically at the power of our words, how our words can both tear down and and increase the hostility in our culture, but they can also do so much good and break through the cycles of incivility we're seeing. We're also going to talk about the specific platform that leaders have, both online and elsewhere, how the words they use can truly lead us out of the incivility and how leaders can be more thoughtful and better at using their online engagement. Next week, we're going to wrap up this conversation and we're also going to talk about the way all of us shape the culture that we live in and how we can all think better about how we use our online conversations. Well, let's get to the first part of the conversation with Dan Darling on The Leaders We Need. 
When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need Are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. And when Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. Well, Dan, I want to thank you so much for being on The Leaders We Need. I've really been looking forward to this conversation, uh, in particular to discuss your recent book, Away With Words, that's out now. You know, Dan, I've known you for a number of years, and you know, your writing and your work, it's making a huge impact, and you have a significant voice and are reaching a lot of people with your work and your writing. But for regular listeners of The Leaders We Need who may not be familiar why don't we just start by uh, introducing yourself a little bit, what you're doing now, and and some of the some of the work that you're that you're up to. Yeah, so uh, I think we've known each other for, gosh, for a long time, and I think we first met. Uh, your wife, I believe, worked for Senator Inhofe. Yeah. Right, and I had just gotten to the RLC, and you know I'm in D.C. quite often, and so, um, I think. I think we went to Inhofe's office to meet with the senator and meet with you got meet with her and some folks. And then, you know, seeing you at not just those events, but like at um, like ERLC events and then like uh, places where pastors were, you know, yeah. I think we, we got to hang out quite a bit. So, yeah, I so I worked at the ERLC for about um, six years. In May, I moved to uh, NRB, which is. National Religious Broadcasters. It's really an association of Christian communicators. Uh, And uh, so you think of all the, you know, Christian media from radio and TV to digital media uh, to big ministries that are producing teaching. Uh, So it's a a pretty big association. So Mm I've been there since May, and we're pretty excited about what the Lord's doing there. So I had been familiar with, you know, Dr. Moore and you, and and I'm a huge, obviously, the name of the podcast is The Leaders We Need. Leadership is a big deal for me, and transformational leadership is is one of the forms of leadership that I admire so much, and and getting to see how uh, Dr. Moore, you know, brought together that team and started to really uh, transform the work of the RLC, you know, all the way around. I was just so impressed. And I, I wanted to connect with you guys for the longest time. And, and my wife just casually mentioned that y'all were going to be coming in, having a meeting with her and with, uh, with the senator. And I said, can, can I just carry your briefcase to that meeting? I just want, I really want to meet these guys. And so I, and I, and I got to meet you a, a short while later. The way in which your whole team came in and cast vision and identity and began to create resources. And it's just, it was a great example of transformational leadership in my book, uh, which I think is so, so important and needed in so many organizations uh, in our world today. So, you know, a question I like to ask all of the guests that come on the leaders we need is to kind of go back into your own story a little bit and think about your life and just what were some of those experiences that really motivated you to to do the work that you're doing now. And, you know, sometimes our lives take 
random, uh, you know, roads and paths. But when we look back, there was those those people, those experiences that that really did speak into who we are and what we do. Uh, what, what were some of those experiences for you? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. You know, I've always had two loves in my life from a very young age. I've always loved the church. I mean, you know, I, I grew up going to church. I, you know, we were going three times a week, you know, before I was born. <laughs> and my dad was an elder in our Baptist church. It's just a formative experience for me. And I've always loved the church. I, I, I felt called into ministry at an early age, and I just— and, and, you know, today I'm 42 years old and I, I look forward to Sundays. I love the people of God. I love uh, teaching and preaching and, and helping people, you know, live on mission mm-hmm. uh, in this world. And I've always loved the public square. I've always loved politics and public square and in her- history, you know, from from the time I can remember. Our, our parents, my parents got three newspapers every day mm-hmm. in Chicago. And I read them, you know, and I read them all, the news, the sports. Uh, I've always was always paying attention to that stuff. And in high school, I, I read um, National Review and Weekly Standard, yeah. you know, like like a nerd. Um, I just, you know, it's just something I, I love. I love American presidential history. So I've always had a foot in both worlds and have always just felt like, how can I help Christians live out their faith in the world. I've always been a writer. So in junior high, I had a um, teacher who, after I turned in a few assignments, tell me, you know, I think, I think you're, you've got a gift here with writing. I think you can do this, which, you know, when you're middle school, junior high and you're awkward and you're, it's just a weird time in life. And someone tells you, Hey, here's actually something you're good at. You know, that, that means a lot. Yeah. And so that kind of, put wind in my sails for the rest of my life. And so I've always been writing articles, books, and then I've always been in church life and in the public square in some form or another, you know? So when I was in church life, I was always writing about how Christians should should think about current issues and what's going on in the mm-hmm. world. So when I was a pastor, I was writing op-eds and writing things. And then when I worked for in public policy for the ERLC, you know, I was thinking to myself, how can we create content that that helps the church? Right. So, you know, I, I've always been doing both. And, you know, and so that's kind of where I've always found myself, if that makes sense. And there were some formative experiences, you know, I've had where when I was a kid, I think maybe I was 10 or 11 years old. And we, um, my family took a trip to Washington, D.C. We drove our station wagon from Chicago and we drove to D.C. And we toured D.C. And that was life changing. I remember yeah. standing at the Lincoln Memorial and just being like, wow. Um, and then I've had experiences in the church, you know, in terms of committing my life to Christ, whether it's a camp meeting or a sermon that, that I heard. Um, I, I think in terms of my theology, and approach. There's been a few folks who have really shaped me over the last few years. You know, when I went to the Gospel Coalition in 2011, mm-hmm. I was like, man, where's this been my whole life? We're here, guys care about truth. They care about the word. They care about breaking down um, the scriptures, but they also are, are not fundamentalists in, in that sense. 
um, hearing Tim Keller yeah. speak, preach the Bible from the whole the whole Bible from cover to cover, and hearing him, guys like him, Russell Moore, and others talk about how they engage the culture was just refreshing and different. Yeah, and and so I think those all those things were very formative uh, for me. Yeah, well, and you know, you share that story about the teacher who who really affirmed a gift mm. that you had, and, and I loved reading that. And that, you know, I had a mentor of mine one time say, you know, sometimes we just need those attaboys. You know, we just we need that mm. that that word of affirmation, and it, you don't really always know how powerful that can affect somebody. And, and that's, that's part of the power of what I would say, speaking words of life into somebody. And it may yeah, seem, absolutely. may seem pretty simple to you, but it, it, it really does change and impact people. And you talk about in your book, the deep love that you have for words and for the power of the word. What is it about our words that you really want your readers uh, and, and our listeners to know? Well, I, I think there's a few things to think about. I think number one is to understand that um, Christianity is a is a speaking religion. Mm -hmm. It is a religion of words. If you think about it, uh, the opening pages of Genesis have God speaking the world into existence through His right. words. Um, the fact that we have a God who speaks is it, not something that you know that should be taken for granted. You know, we have a God who has spoken to us. Jesus is described as the Logos, the, the Word of God. Uh, God has given us the pages of the Bible, the Word of God. Mm -hmm. That is Him speaking to us. Um, and as image bearers, one of the things that makes us distinct from the rest of creation is the fact that we have a highly developed way of communicating. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, animals can communicate on a rudimentary level, right? Right. But... You're not going to see an animal write a novel. Part of being an image bearer is communicating with language and words, yeah. which is why throughout the, the scriptures, there's a lot of admonition about how we use our words. It's not just important um, that we are on the right side, but it's important that the words we use to communicate that. Yeah. And I, that's why I think a lot of Christians kind of don't, you know, they, I think that's something that we miss all the time sometimes. That like we think, well, as long as I'm right, whether it's about a doctrine or truth or even a matter of justice or public policy, it doesn't matter how I speak about it. And the truth is it does matter. Yeah. And God does care uh, about the the words we choose. Yeah. In particular, in, in the political arena or, or policymaking uh, community, which is where I focus and I do my work, politics seems to be a game that's played on Twitter these days. Mm. And, and not just, uh, you know, not just Twitter, but m multiple online platforms. And, and you know, what you're talking about is it goes beyond and is deeper than simply the methods by which we are communicating. And, and thanks to new technology, the all the promise of social media and, and social media platforms uh, that allow us to communicate broadly and widely. And your book really does apply, you know, the concepts that you're talking about, using your words uh, well, using them for good, th that applies to all forms of communication. But you do take a particular focus on the online communication platforms and, and the world in which we are, uh, we are largely communicating 
with all that was promised to us with social media, it's pretty, pretty obvious to see the negativity that has surfaced on it. What do you think has gone wrong with our well, online communication? Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. It was the promise of, of social media. If, if you can think back now, when you mention social media, most people assume you're going to say something negative, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing. It's the default. Yeah. The flip in terms of our confidence, uh, in terms of technology, you know, the tech companies, how we feel about them and social media. You know, I remember, you know, 10 years ago or more, 12 years ago, talking to writers, talking to people and just saying, like, you got to be on social media. It's the greatest way to connect. And just the optimism, mm-hmm. right? It's, we're all going to be connected. You can meet people. You can do all these things. And it's going to bring the world together. I mean, that was really Facebook's whole thing. We're going to bring every, we're going to bring the world together. Um, and I think there's a couple of things to think about. I mean, it's, it's complicated, right? Because as Christians, you know, we're not anti-technology, right? Right. In fact, the act of technology is the act of subduing the earth. It, it's, it's innovating. It's taking the raw materials God has given us and innovating. Mm-hmm. So technology is innovation. Um, and yet we have to be honest that, you know, these mediums are not necessarily neutral in that uh, there are certain incentives. They're perverse incentives mm-hmm. on Facebook and Twitter. So we have to, we have to just kind of understand that. Um, I, and yet I also think, think about this in a couple of ways. The platforms have perverse incentives to drive up engagement. And yet I, I'm troubled when Christians will say, we'll almost compartmentalize social media. Like it's not us. Yeah. So we'll say, well, he's a great guy, but man, he's a little bit, you know, pretty, he's, he's, I don't know, whatever on social media, as if that's not him. It's just kind of this other part of him. Yeah. Or we'll just say, man, social media is bad today. What we really should be saying is people are not behaving well. Right. Online. You know, if I have a tweet that is nasty or negative or misleading or spreading false information, that's not social media being bad. That's me not being wise with my words. Right. And so I do think as Christians, we have to sort of reclaim that idea that our words matter. In all the admonitions we, we see in the, in the scripture about the power of the tongue, for instance, in James 3, can either bring life or death. Well, we might say that the power of the thumb or the power of the yeah. strokes of your keyboard can bring either life or death. We also need to understand that we're in public. Yeah. There's this... Interesting paradox that we are both when we go on social media, we, we're almost it's almost performative because mm-hmm. we want to sort of do things in public that will gain um, affirmation from our side. And yet we have to understand we're yeah, there's, there's also this weird feeling of anonymity that we're private. The thing is, we're in public. People are watching us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I especially think this is true for leaders. Yeah. And so. We just have to know what we're doing when we're on social media. That all being said, I am not anti-technology. And I actually think, you know, look, this is, these are the tools that uh, – this is where people are having conversations in the 21st century. This is where we're at. And so um, we're not going to go back to the 1950s. We're not going to suddenly become Amish. So the question is – how do we steward that well? Right. So I think we should be engaged here, but how do we do this well? What are some ways that we can 
we could steward our words well. That's how, how I think we should think about social media. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, and you're absolutely right. When, when you think of engaging on Twitter or, or any of the social media platforms, now the almost default assumption is, is it's going to be negative or it's going to be hostile or it's going to be uh, critical. And yet, you know, is this, is this a new problem that we have as society or, or is this or is this just something that technology is exposing in us? And, uh, you know, if if it's not a new problem, but it's something technology is exposing, is, is it helpful to know the difference between the two? Yeah, I think it's, it's both. I think in the one sense, it is exposing. Technology is exposing us, and it's revealing what might have already been there. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it is incentivizing and creating behaviors that might not have happened, right? You know, social media means everyone's on stage. Everyone's performing. Everyone is playing to an audience. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's revealing what was already there, but maybe not. I mean, 20 years ago, we didn't know. I didn't know what a pastor five states away thought about some global crisis. Yeah. Like he wasn't putting out statements every day about random things. But now I might because I follow him on social media. So would he have had those beliefs 20 years ago? Or does the fact that he feels like he has to speak out every second on every single issue create and incentivize a system that produces those beliefs? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a little of both. I do think the bottom line is we have to understand we are accountable for what we say. Yeah. And for what we do and people are watching. And, and that's sobering. It's convicting. I mean, I, I wonder myself, like, should I have said that or should I not have said that or what did I just say? <laughs> you know, things that we've done. And so I do think we have to really wrestle with that. Yeah. Uh, you just drew a distinction between leaders and how they engage and, and, and it's particularly important for them. What is that added level of significance to how leaders are interacting online? I do have a whole chapter on on, on leaders, mm-hmm. um, and I do really think there's a sober warning here. You know, James 3 talks about the sober weight of spiritual leadership. Mm. Not not all of you should be teachers. And, and then in the rest of the chapter, he talks about the power of, of our words. And I put those two together, and I think James is saying, if you have a platform, mm-hmm. then your words carry more weight than other people. Your words can bring life or death. And I really think leaders need to take that seriously. Uh, doesn't mean we should, they shouldn't engage on social. I think they should, but understanding everything you say or tweet could be misunderstood. Leaders by their behavior, give permission to their followers Mm -hmm. to act the same way. What leaders do in moderation, their followers will do in excess. Mm -hmm. So the way that a leader interacts on social with their tone is, is, is being set forth as an example. So I think leaders have to be especially really wise about that. Anybody with a big, with a big platform really needs to think everything I put out there, what message is this conveying? How could this be misunderstood? Mm-hmm. I also think leaders sometimes forget they're in public. Yeah. Like, dude, you're in public, you know? So have a conversation or, or disagreement, but remember you're in public and people are watching you. What are you endorsing? What are you giving sanction to? What are you saying is good? You know, we just have to be clear 
we have to be we have to be smart about that. The other thing to think about as a leader on social is that uh, again you're in public. So it's amazing to me that there are things that I see pastors or other leaders tweet or post on Facebook that I'm like, would you say this if you knew that you were in public, if you were like in the pulpit or if you were speaking in a venue or, you know, if you were at a dinner party, would you hush the whole crowd and stand up and say those things? Yeah. That, right? that might be a good mental exercise when thinking right. about what you say. So you're in public. And I also think this about public debates. I, I actually don't think we can't have good discussions on Twitter and Facebook about important issues. If we understand that we're in public, if we see the person we're, we're um, disagreeing with is a human being made in the image of God, if we, if we keep their humanity before us, and if these discussions are in good faith. Yeah. Right? Not all discussions are. And you have to understand, is this person arguing with me? Are they in good faith? Or are they just a troll? Because if they're just a troll, I don't want to waste, waste my time. And but if they're in good faith, we can do this. But picture yourself uh, on a stage having a debate before a live audience and calibrate your responses that way because I think they would be different than if you're just kind of firing off tweets. Uh, does that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And we look to leaders, you know, particularly in times mm -hmm. of difficulty or crisis. That that is the, you know, there's a function that leaders serve in a culture in a society, and and one of those functions is is they become the focal point of our attention. We look to them to set a tone. We look to them to give guidance and direction. We we look to them to provide a, a path forward. If that's what we're looking for them to do we're going to find that path in what they're saying, whether they're intending to communicate that or, or not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And this is why I think it's good to have kind of a, some accountability with mm -hmm. our social media. Um, I have a, a group of friends that I regularly text with mm -hmm. and, you know, we text all of our opinions and our hottest stuff, but you know, stuff that, Hey, am I seeing this wrong? Or, Hey, is this my opinion? You know, Stuff that I think once, you know, if you test it in privately, it sands off the rough edges or maybe just you, you learn, yeah, I'm probably not seeing this right. Before you just go online and in public and yeah. embarrass yourself or say something dumb. I think it's really important. I think for leaders, particularly if you're, if you're a leader of a big organization or in any kind of position, if there's something you're going to tweet that could be controversial, maybe you do need to talk about it because it's an issue that you need to stand up for for the truth or stand against some injustice by all means but ask a few folks around you okay how should i do this this is what i'm about to say but what do you think about this um to save yourself really yeah. from a public embarrassment um because you know we represent not just ourselves but the organizations that we work for right whether that's fair or not to a certain extent we're telling other people a little bit about you know, the company we work for, the organization we work for. And I, and I think we, we owe it to, to represent them well. You know, I really do hear you say that social media can still serve very important, positive yes. functions in our, in our dialogue, in our public discourse. One of the things I love about Twitter in particular is it seems to me that, that you're connecting with people around, you know, ideas or thoughts uh, versus you know, ge geographic location or where you went to high school or, 
or affinity groups, but you, you get to connect around ideas more. And I think that that can be a very important, positive opportunity, maybe to connect with somebody mm. that you wouldn't normally connect with because you're, you're engaging around important ideas. And so that, oh, absolutely. You know, there's a positive role that it can serve. Uh, and yet we can't ignore the fact that the, the negative role that it is playing in our culture seems to be overwhelming. And what I really love about your book, and really it's the whole point of this podcast and a lot of the work that I'm doing, is it's, it's one thing to, to put out those clarion calls that we need to be kind or we need to be civil or we need to uh, learn to engage each other in a respectful way, disagree uh, and do it in a respectful way. Those are nice comments that are needed, but we also need practical guidance on how to get there and how to actually do it. And and this is something that, on one, you advocate and articulate it well, but you also model it. I, I watch you model it online. Um, Hopefully. So, <laughs> well, for, for those who, and you've already shared some really great practical tips, but you know, for those who, who want to use their words for good, as you say, and, and want to do that online, where do we start? What, what, you know, what's that path look like to begin doing that? People see the hostility and the vitriol and the incivility, and maybe it's just easier not to get involved or not to speak up. Give a little guidance, a little practical application, some steps that we can take to do it well. Yeah, I think there's a few things, particularly when it comes to um, politics and social media and the news cycle. You know, I think there's a few things. Number one, and this is especially true for Twitter, but also for Facebook, we have to understand that the Internet is important, but it's not all there is to life. Mm -hmm. You know, Twitter's not real life. Uh, and increasingly, we have to understand that there are kind of information uh, in news ecosystems and bubbles that almost live independently of each other, mm -hmm. right? So there's been a lot of attention focus on how Facebook, you know, people get their con more conservative folks get their news on Facebook and here's other top stories. And it's kind of a, it can be an echo chamber for conservatives. Uh, but I also think the same exact thing happens with Twitter with, you know, leaders and journalists and people who are on there that are more uh, kind of thought leader types. They too have a, an ecosystem mm -hmm. of, outlets they trust and headlines that are forming and shaping them. And I do think the way to responsibly engage the world as a Christian and as a leader is to kind of not let ourselves be in an information bubble, mm. right? Now I'm conservative in terms of my public policy preferences and, you know, theologically conservative, but I have to be careful not to just only get in new sources from the right mm -hmm. where there's a tendency for all of us to have um, um, confirmation bias, where we only want to hear stories that affirm our worldview or show that the, the people on the other side are nasty, terrible people. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens on Twitter. I watch it, and I'm an active user of Twitter. Twitter, I, I would say, leans left. And so, not that everyone on Twitter is left-leaning, but kind of the narratives that mm -hmm. form from kind of you know your mainstream outlets like CNN and, and journalists on there, and if that's all that forms your opinion of what's going on, then you're going to be in a bubble as well. There's kind of a New York, D.C. 
bubble, which I like both of those cities and I like the journalists in those cities and I like the institutions in those cities, but there's a bubble that kind of ignores the heartland. So I think we have to be wise across, across all these streams and mm -hmm. get news and inform our opinions based on that. What I'm increasingly concerned that um, real life is being run or bowing or being scared by social media. In mm -hmm. other words, people are afraid of getting on the wrong side of Twitter. Uh, and so it's shaping decision-making. It's shaping a lot of things. And I, I think we have to be wise about that and, and be resistant to some of that. The other thing I think as Christians we really need to be smart about is making sure we get the whole story. Yeah. Uh, James at 119 says, let everyone be quick to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Mm -hmm. In the Internet age, we should be uh, quick to get the whole story, mm. to read the whole story, not just the headlines, slow to post, and slow to Internet rage. Yeah. We might wait 24 hours. You know, there's stories come across the wire, salacious headlines that confirm everything we know is wrong about the people we don't like. And we can jump on that. And then 24 hours later, 48 hours later, we find out, oh, that wasn't everything. That was half of it. And we've seen this in the last few years, right? This sounds so good, but it's not true. We have to be very careful. There's a lot of information coming out there. We can spread disinformation. I'm really, really concerned when leaders with big platforms spread things that are misinformation, things that are not true, whether that's on the left and right. And I'm seeing it during this election season. You know, people that I respect just tweeting and posting stuff that I'm like, ah, I don't think that's actually true. I think that's half true. Or have you got the, all the facts? We have to really be responsible as Christians to pursue what is true. Yeah. And sometimes that means not commenting, not posting, not saying anything because we don't know the whole story or we're not an expert in that field. And it's really okay. Like there's no um, obligation that I have to comment on every news story and everything all the time. I just don't. You know, 20 years ago, no one was asking me what I thought about every single thing that came across the, the wire. So I think we have to just be wise about all that. Well, And that's not something I want to glance over either, because I've been watching the news and I've been watching how things have developed. And I, one of the things I've noticed, particularly in the last few months, it does seem as though prominent people in leadership positions, whether it's private business, large companies, social organizations, churches, are commenting on everything. Do they feel that they have to? It used to be that you didn't have to comment about every single thing, but is there a pressure on them to comment that they have to comment? And how do we give them permission not to? Look, you know, I do think leaders should comment sometimes on things mm -hmm. that are going on. You know, if there's a kind of a national thing that's happening and people are confused, it's good to to talk about it, but I, I'm very resistant to the idea that every single leader has to comment on every single thing on the same medium all the time. You know, when people will say leaders are silent on this or evangelical leaders are silent on this, it's like, are they silent or are they just not tweeting? Mm -hmm. You know, Tim Keller right now may be talking to his elders. Right. You know, he's not tweeting. Does that mean he's silent? It's just... Uh, the idea that you have to be as mad as I am about the same issue as me, on the same platform as me, at the same time as me, is really ridiculous mm -hmm. when these platforms didn't exist 20 years ago. 
So I think leaders have to ask themselves, when do I engage? What do I say? When do I put out? When do I address these issues, uh, both internally to the people I'm serving, but also to let people know this is where I stand? I think it's good and right for leaders to do that. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the pressure that we have to have, we have to say something all the time. We need to resist that. You know, there's this. This is where the the platforms incentivize that. They incentivize, man, everyone's talking about this. I got to say something. Mm-hmm. Everyone's saying this. I got to speak up. It may be right for you to speak up given your position uh, and what God is calling you to do and the people you're serving. That's great. But don't feel like you, I don't think leaders have to do that all the time. I think we have to really decide what's wise. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.